Hey everybody, welcome back to the next uh, Grey Malkin Lane special Patreon bonus episode. Woo! I am here with my friend uh, Rob Salerno. Hi Rob, how are you? I'm good, how are you doing? I'm good, it's so good to see you man, how's life? Uh, life is pretty good, you know, it's uh, good weather here in California, it's sunny, it's warm, no complaints. It is, uh, it is weird today in Salt Lake City. So today's July 24th, which is uh, a, a state holiday. Uh, it's the day that they celebrate the like Mormon pioneers arriving in Utah. So it's called Pioneer Day and they do it with like parades, like a parade and fireworks. It's like a whole thing. Um, but a lot of the- I did not know that Utah had its own Thanksgiving. Kind of, yeah. It's a weird, uh, and a lot of the local businesses uh, will not celebrate Pioneer Day, but they'll celebrate what they call Pie and Beer Day. So they'll serve pie and beer, which is much cuter. Uh, but it's been like 105 all week. And then today's like overcast and stormy and like, it feels like it's 60 degrees out there. It's weird. It's a weird day. Anyway, you ever been to Salt Lake City? I have not. It's it's a uh, it's charming, but it's strange. It's a little countercultural. Uh, <laughs> I feel that way about all the Mormons I have met since I moved to Los Angeles. <laughs> I'm formerly Mormon. I um and I didn't grow up in Utah. I'm from Missouri, but I moved here as an ex-Mormon, and I'm like, mm, this place is strange. But there's also a surprisingly vibrant queer community here too. It's uh it's an interesting balance. I don't know. I like it. We're happy here. Well, yeah, I heard, uh, like, isn't the mayor of Salt Lake City a lesbian or she was? was. There is uh, a new mayor who is- She converted. Uh, who's wonderful, but the the lesbian mayor is no longer in uh, in uh, um, in power. I don't know the right word yeah. to put there. And, yeah, anyway, yeah. No, it's a cute place. We like it here. Uh, so we, uh, we are taking each of these episodes and kind of examining characters who don't normally get any sort of spotlight. And- Rob and I were chatting, uh, I don't know, a month or so ago, and we chose uh, the Drakes, the parents of uh, Bobby Drake, uh, who I've read across the years in their publication, but never consecutively. And when you take all of their appearances front and back, it's kind of a heavy family story. I mean, Iceman's appeared hundreds of times. His parents have only peer, appeared 30 or 40 or something over decades uh, but it's uh, it's kind of a shocking story as you see these characters portrayed over the decades. What made you want to choose the Drakes, Rob? Um, well, I mean, you know, uh, for the past uh, about two years now, I think I started during the pandemic, I've been doing uh, the Iceman is a Homosexual blog, which is uh, a chronological reread of all of Bobby Drake's appearances uh, from uh, his earliest origins uh, to about the present day, uh, sort of chronicling um, his co coming out process, which eventually happens in 2015, and sort of showing that, like, actually, you know, the evidence has been there the whole time. Um, so William and Maddie Drake have been in the background of this story. They're almost since the beginning. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's like you said, like, there is this heavy family drama. And... Um, it weirdly kind of goes in cycles. Uh, this It seems like every, you know, 10 or 15 years, we kind of get a similar story with them again, but with a little bit of a twist. And I think that's really interesting. And what I think is particularly interesting about these uh, uh, two like supporting characters is we don't actually have a lot of parents of the X-Men 
who have really rounded characters. Right. And we don't really get, you know, uh, we've met uh, John and Elaine Gray, uh, and, and they've like, you know, been in the background of weddings and things like that. Um, you know, there's Corsair, I guess. Uh, has, yeah, yeah. Uh, Christopher Summers, I think, is the one that's the most well-rounded. But I would argue the Drakes are the next most. I think they're the ones that have the most character development out of all the X-Men parents. I would actually say they're they're even more developed than Corsair. I feel like Corsair is is very much uh, just like a, a weirdly stock pirate character who doesn't really get the uh, doesn't really have much of an emotional arc with with Cyclops. It kind of like it's a relationship that develops in the background until I would say the uh, like twenty fifteen Cyclops series. Sure. I think it was Greg Rucka who wrote that. Yeah, yeah, and with te with Teen Cyclops and his dad in with, space. Yeah. With Teen Cyclops, yeah, I thought that was uh, that's like such a, a, a an interesting like somebody finally did something with that relationship. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, like we have all these other characters um, who don't really like it should be part of their stories like the Worthingtons probably should have more of like something to say about their son being a mutant than they ever actually did um and of course they're uh they were you know written off uh in the, yeah, they, the they both died pretty quickly but uh for for the drakes actually before we get into them tell tell me why you chose to do the Iceman as a homosexual blog i think it's a fascinating project and it's frankly how i first found you when i first reached out to you to guest on gray malkin a couple of times uh i i love your work thank you um i really appreciate that um so you know honestly like uh i have been working in gay media for Oh God, uh, I, I don't want to say how many years at this point, but uh, I, I guess, uh, yeah, no, I, I started writing for a gay newspaper called Extra in 2006. Okay. Um, one of my first stories was a review of X3. And um, so I've, I've really just been fascinated with um, uh, LGBT media and content. In fact, you know, even in undergrad, um, I wrote my undergrad thesis on gay subtext in X-Men comics. Um, so I thought this was like just an interesting thing to continue. And the thing that actually got me started uh, to actually write this blog um, was uh, uh, Paul O'Brien, who um, does House to Astonish, uh, the X-Men reviews over, over at HouseToAstonish.com. He had started uh, a couple of years ago, um, uh, just after House of X came out, doing a chronological reread of Moira McTaggart and all of her appearances to see, does it actually line up with the Hickman retcon? Which, which I have done in the last year. It was interesting. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, and I, I thought this project was so interesting. And I think what I think is really cool about the way that um, he approaches it is he treats everything as if it's like, it has to make sense somehow. Um, and I thought that would be like an interesting approach to look at other um, characters who have gone through these sorts of retcons or revelations. Um, and Iceman was just such a, a natural fit. I think I might have even said at one point on on Twitter, like, I'm thinking of doing this. And I think he, he might have said, I would be interested in reading that. Um, and yeah, once I started doing it, like, to be honest, when Iceman first came out of the closet, um, I, I reacted really negatively to it. Um, I thought it was, it felt like a big stunt. And I think honestly, it felt like a big stunt to me mostly because of the, the actual execution of that story. Um, 
you know, it, it Iceman is sort of outed in, uh, you know, Brian Bendis's run, and it, and then Bendis like leaves the next issue, and it's like, so you didn't really have a story to tell us about this, did you? And left it for everyone else to kind of clean up, and and it felt to me also like, as much as there, like I I had always identified with Iceman. Um, at the same time, I felt like I was identifying with something that wasn't particularly there, you know, like he, he had just done, he just gone through the story in the Marjorie Lou book where he was, you know, uh, he had the apocalypse seed in him and he was contacting all his ex-girlfriends. And to me, like, yeah, it felt like it was undermining that story. And I haven't gone back and reread it yet because I want to get to it in my chronological reread. Um, but going through like going back to even those like 1960s stories with uh the like the stuff that um Stan Lee and Jack Kirby were were writing I was like oh god it's it's like right there from the beginning you cannot avoid this it's it's there so let me pause you there for just a second uh we have and just to introduce this concept which of course we know logically but it's nice to hear it said out loud sometimes we have characters that were created in one particular way every few years or sometimes every few issues they change writers it's those writers jobs to then pick up these characters and tell ongoing stories back in the 1960s if you go all the way back to x-men one you can find evidence that bobby's gay but they didn't intend for him to be gay they intended for him to be the junior member of the team he's 16 he's not super interested in girls but uh, later on, when Roy Thomas takes over, uh, he has his first kiss with Zelda. He's interested in Polaris. He dates a bunch of girls over the years. There are certain writers along the way that are clearly trying to portray him as gay and using kind of the mutant metaphor of what it's like to be not accepted by your family for being a particular way when you were born that way. We're going to get into that with the J.M. DeMatteis uh, Iceman limited series as an example, where the metaphor is very loud and it, it's right in plain sight. And then there are other writers, I think, who just saw him as straight, who kept pairing him off with girls and telling stories. Uh, some writers were in on the joke and others seemed not to be, but his parents and his relationship with his parents along the way, when you analyze it in the framework of this character was always gay, uh, it's a really fascinating study about family and queerness, using uh, both queerness and the mutant metaphor as, as, uh, as um, I don't know the right phraseology to use here. It, it just, it really stacks up on top of each other in an intense kind of uncomfortable way. I don't know, I, but it's good. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's funny. I, I was just, I just reread the entire Cena Grace series last mm-hmm. night mm-hmm. Um, to prepare for this. And um uh, it, it's funny, I, like in all of my reread, I'm in my reread right now, I'm up to, I think about 1996. Um, after which point I don't think Iceman really does have, uh, any like new serious love interests. Um, however, um, Cena Grace makes a point of having, uh, Iceman say at one point that he has in fact slept with women and I'm like when would this have happened because it is so clear that he has never had sex with any woman that he's ever been with um I'm as I'm saying this out loud I'm trying to think I think there's a story in the brief Mike Carey run where uh, I think he has sex with Mystique that does seem uh, very apparent yeah that that might, Mystique might be the only woman Bobby has had sex with. Um, Uh, He did have that relationship with Kitty Pride post 96 too, which was serious in the comics for a minute, right? 
Yeah, yeah. I it it is weird that that never that always felt like uh oh we're grafting something on from the movies here and um I I appreciated that they started something but it ended so quickly yeah. like I don't believe that there was a serious relationship here and then the scene well, his name's not his name's not Peter Kitty only dates guys named Peter I'm just exactly kidding. go ahead exactly <laughs> and then but then you know Cena Grace has like their actual big breakup fight which makes it seem like oh this actually was uh, an intense relationship for Kitty which yeah felt it felt surprising to me that that you know coming back to that um but uh yeah i was like you know running through all of the the women that iceman has either been with or uh lusted after um you know the relationship with polaris is you know very clear from minute one polaris is like i am not interested in you i am interested in the hunky blonde guy and you keep calling me your girlfriend and it's creepy it's like she keeps she keeps saying this to him then uh you know uh he's uh there's a, a relationship is implied with dark star of the champions and champion and dark star is exactly the same way she's like please stop lusting after me i am not interested in you <laughs> um then i guess in college he dates uh my favorite one of his uh his girlfriends she makes two appearances her name is terry sue bottoms uh-huh she's amazing <laughs> When are we doing the trial of Terry Sue Bottoms? <laughs> she might get a Patreon um, episode. I certainly don't think she qualifies for a trial. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there's a, there's uh so uh, I'm going to get personal for a moment. Speaking of someone who grew up queer, queerness was not an option in my household. I have a gay sister too. Uh, it, it's not like my parents walked around using like gay slurs or hate speech. It just was never talked about. And then, you know, you see concepts of, uh, I, I didn't know how to process all this as an adult, but there's gay actors on television who are pretending to be straight characters and also pretending to be straight in their real lives. And there are um, Disney movies that imply that the villains are gay because they're foppish, they're evil, there's something to be made fun of. Uh, all of the love stories are, are straight. It just, it just wasn't an option. And so I grew up thinking that I liked girls while being uh, noticing guys all the time and clearly attracted. I mean, from the age of five, if I look retroactively, I can realize that I was very different. But I dated girls all through high school. I had girlfriends. I dated college. I married a woman and had children. And I am not bisexual. Uh, so there are people who are bisexual who can date both genders. But even then, unless you have the option to explore both, you grow to be ashamed of one. And uh, there's people out there who are who are bi or gay who dated a lot of women before coming out and never really came to terms with it until it was kind of forced on them. And so in that way, I really relate to Iceman, who is constantly looking for girls to date. But even even uh, even as he's doing so, he's doing it in such a gay way. Uh, yeah. this, this is a good transition, like very quickly. The first appearance of Bobby's parents are when we get into X-Men number 44. Bobby's been around for years in the X-Men. Uh, and we get to go back and see his prehistory story. And the first thing they show, and this is a this is a Gary Friedrich, George Tuska story. The first thing they show is Bobby dating a girl named Judy, and he's taken her to see West Side Story, which is so gay. <laughs> and uh, as he walks out, like a gang of people attack him, and he reveals his powers, and he rushes home to his parents, and they are like, "Oh my God, you let people see what you are." And they're like ashamed of him, but at the same time, they're ready to protect him. When the mob like rushes the house. 
his dad immediately like throws himself in front and is like, I'm going to, I'm going to save you. I'll protect you. But they, he can't, they grab Bobby, toss him in a jail cell. And then he ultimately gets recruited by uh, Professor X and Cyclops. And Professor X, I believe it's implied he kind of alters the memories of the Drakes to, to take away the fact uh, that, uh, that they went through all of this. The town has to not know he's a mutant in a weird way. So right from the beginning, we get this complex relationship of Bobby being gay, but the metaphor is he's closeted himself as a mutant. He can't show it to anybody. If you let anybody see your queerness, they will literally storm the attack, storm your house, attack you and try to lynch you. There's also a moment in these flashbacks where there's a sheriff who stands up for Bobby and the people are like, mutie lover, get him, right? And so it like, not only can you not be gay, but if anyone supports you for being gay, that means that they're gay by association and also should be hung. I mean, it's a, it's a really powerful, like punch you in the gut kind of metaphor told in, uh, you know, 1968. Uh, and that's where we start. That's where we meet the Drakes for the first time. Well, and, and you know, thinking about what this was, what Stanley and, or not Stanley, um, sorry, the, 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 um, it's Gary Friedrich. Gary, Gary Friedrich, Friedrich was the backup story writer. Right, of course. Um, what those creators were were obviously thinking about at the time was, you know, actual lynch mobs. Like this, this is, you know, what is actually happening in America at the time as they were writing this. Um, you know, the civil rights movement is in full swing here. Um, it, it's it's not that far-fetched for them to see this kind of thing happening. Maybe it's not like Long Island, but you know, you don't have to go too far into Marvel's catchment area to to, to see what they're talking about. Um, now, like this story, I actually think this is the, the best of the origins of the X-Men stories, because um, it's the one that, as far as I'm concerned, is it's, it's the only one that really um, dives into what it means to be a mutant. Everything else is just like, you know, Angel was a weird superhero for a while until, you know, he gassed himself by accident. Well, but still closeted. Cyclops was yes. attacked. Uh, Beast yep. was targeted. They kidnapped his yep. parents to exploit him. I mean, the theme is there in all four, but yeah, this is literally a mob rushing his house. Yeah, and, and I think this is really interesting because it is the only one where the parents play a real important role sure. in the story um you know uh beast's parents role in the story is to be kidnapped yeah, or yeah. you know to be to have been exposed to radiation um causing their child to be a freak um but you know from so i, I would say like you know from the very earliest stories with the drakes like william drake is presented as being somewhat heroic um now uh, you know i know uh we're 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 probably going to get to x-men origins iceman um but uh why don't we talk about it here because it is it's the same yeah, story jump in um so, and let's just note here really quickly so we had i think it's fred fred van lente uh, who told the uh x-men origins iceman story if i'm getting that right no no it was actually roberto aguirre sacasa pardon um, me yes yes which, so this, is, this is years later they go back and yeah. they're doing a series of one shots exploring the prehistory of the x-men and they do one about Iceman that draws on these backup stories we're talking about. Yeah, uh, it, th these one shots are are weird. It's not entirely clear if they're considered continuity or not. Some of them uh, really are just presenting the the flashbacks as they had originally been told. Some of them, you know, add stuff to the stories. This one is is fairly close to the original origin of Iceman story that was written in the '60s. This this comes out in I think 2009, 2010. 
Um, you get Judy, and Rocky, one of the, Judy Harmon and Rocky Beasley again. Those are like a, yeah. used in the original story. Um, one of the, the interesting uh, things, I remember uh, when I came across this one, um, I, I think, so I think this is true. I have not found any conflicting evidence. This, I believe this is the first issue of anything X-Men related that is written by an openly gay man. Uh, I, I, I can't quote that for sure. I'm, I'm not certain, uh, but it's certainly like of everything that I came across in my Iceman reread, there, there wasn't anything else. Um, but uh, I feel like, like uh, Aguirre Sacasa is, is very much um, uh, headlining the subtext in this story. Um, you know, even even like elements that are there in the original story are made much more explicit in this one because, you know, it's we're 40, 50 years later, we can uh, actually like we can just come out and say like that the gang that attacks them is going to rape Judy. That is that that is what they're after. Yeah. Um, uh, I do love I believe in this story. Uh, he does still use West Side Story again yeah, at the movie yeah. theater except um, it's, it's like a theater playing old classics in this one yes yes at this point that's that's what it is uh and and you know like because of marvel's sliding time scale in a few years this will be the the steven spielberg remake um <laughs> it's it's actually you know what's fascinating uh this is a weird thing um it, it's so minor but uh west side story is also canonically havoc's favorite movie mm-hmm Mm -hmm. It is mentioned in uh, Peter David's X Factor. Yeah, I actually uh, just read that issue. Yeah, uh, I just, Havoc. I, Havoc is getting a trial on Gray Malkin Lane soon, so I'm doing a full reread of his appearances. And yeah, and I, I actually took that note. This is Havoc's favorite movie. <laughs> fantastic. Havoc is actually my favorite character. Um, Do you want to join us for the trial? Sure. I don't. Oh man, can I commit to doing a full reread of Havoc? And, oh, you don't have to do a full reread. I give you yeah. an assigned section. Uh, we'll talk about it. That'd be fun okay. to have you on. <laughs> I'd love that. Um, so yeah, no, this this one um, uh, is is quite a bit more explicit in showing like Bobby growing up and starting to use his ice powers and his parents being aware of it and them telling him you have to hide this. Um, and and it really it, it's it's fascinating to me because. William isn't really portrayed here as someone who hates mutants. Right. He's portrayed here as someone who is worried for his son's safety and is like, I know you're going to be in danger if people know that you're a mutant. So you have to hide this. He's not saying stop being a mutant. He's not saying like, you know, I'm going to kick you out of the house. Um, this is this is a very like interesting and nuanced take on this character. Well, and there's, um, a, there's a specific scene where Bobby's powers activate, and his parents have suspected he might be a mutant for a minute when you add it all together. And he freezes the pool, and they they actually go so far as to assure him there's nothing wrong with you, but you've got to make sure no one can know this moving forward. You've got to be super careful to keep this hidden. And I know there's a lot of queer kids who have parents like that who say, yeah, there's nothing wrong with you, but you can't show this to anyone. You got to toughen up your walk. You can't be a sissy. You can't play with girl stuff, you know, whatever it is. Uh, and that metaphor, again, shines very loudly for, for all mutants, but especially in this case. Yeah, yeah, that that's, you know, I feel like um, aside from just the fact that he's updating this, um, I feel like uh, Aguirre Sacasa really added nuance to all of these side characters, uh, which made the story so much more interesting. 
And I don't like, I'm not faulting the original writers who had five pages to tell the entire story. Um, well, five pages times, I think it's a three issue arc, um, but it's still like, it's very condensed storytelling in the original yeah, yeah. version. Um, and this is such a great opportunity. Plus um, he is working with, um, when Aguirre Sacasa is writing this, like he's already had 40 years of William and Mary's appearances to sort of figure out who these characters are and to set yeah. up what they're going to be later well, on. Well, even to figure out who Iceman is and what his story yes. is. We will get to a trial of Iceman apparently, but he almost more than any of the X-Men except for Rogue is all about just contained, uh, unless I believe in myself, I can't control my powers. Like I, I uh, he, he's always under potential. He's always never quite living up to what he could be because he's, he's ashamed of himself. He's keeping secrets. He's distracting himself with humor. Uh, and I mean, that's Iceman's character when you sum it up into just a few words. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, it, it's it's so clear who that character is um, now. And yet, you know, in the 60s, he was just, you know, the jokester. He was like, you know, a kind of childish character. Um, although not as young as everyone thinks he was, he, he has his 18th birthday in like issue 31 or something like that. Right. So but in X, but in X-Men one, it says he's 16 or in one of the very first issues, it says he's 16 years old. So he ages two years in the, in that. Yeah. Time. Well, Stan Lee was writing the book in real time in the sixties. Like he really thought like uh, as a year passed in publishing time, a year passed in the story time. Like even yeah, Peter Parker graduates from high school. I was just gonna say that. Then he goes to college and he stays there for 50 years. <laughs> yes, everyone thinks Peter Parker's high school years are like, that's who he was. He was in high school forever. No, he was in high school for like two years, like 20 issues. And then he graduates and he goes to Empire State University. Um, and, and yeah, cause it's, it's really around the seventies they realize, oh, this is popular. Like this is gonna keep going. We can't have him be like 30 soon, you know? Um, and uh, and yeah, and that kind of like compresses the time scale for the X-Men as well. Cause I believe Iceman is actually meant to be like 14 in issue number one. So he's, he is the youngest um, and you can like place the other characters around but Beast is supposed to be like 18 or 19. Yeah, Beast is the oldest, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and uh, Scott and Warren, I think, are 17. Gina's 16. Maybe Bobby's 15. But, you know, which is also one of those, like, funny things, because, you know, the, the thing that a lot of people latch onto is in that first ep uh, first issue, when Jean shows up at the mansion and all the boys are, like, wolf whistling at her out the window, Bobby's like, big deal, a girl. And Stanley right. has always been like... And then he slides oh, down yeah, his ice pole a second later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because he's like, he's a child. He's not supposed to be, you know, and I'm like, but he's 15. <laughs> a 15-year-old boy is not going to be like, a straight boy at least, is not going to be like, a girl, big deal. <laughs> I got to I got to interview Roy Thomas on my podcast, and I asked him this question specifically, and he and I can't direct quote here, but he basically said, Iceman wasn't gay until they made him gay. He's like, when we wrote him back then, he wasn't gay. But then you go through and we you read like J.M. DeMatteis's run on Defenders and then in like the Iceman limited series and the subtext is very clear. Is it okay if we jump there for a minute? Yeah, so, let's, I mean, I, we, we've talked about the 60s enough. There's uh, yeah. we're, we're, like, we're, this is supposed to be the trial of William and Mary. William and Not Madeline even the trial, just the focus on. Uh, so, right. so William and Madeline next show up in the Iceman limited series is 16 years after we get that little backstory. And Jan Mateus does a lot of very deep, slow character work. 
His run on Defenders is one of my favorites. He's had a long run on Spider-Man. He's still writing current stuff. And as a side note, uh, just to let listeners know, I reach out to, uh, often to creators. Some don't respond. Some are very enthusiastic. J.M. DeMatteis responded to my email, but he just basically said, I don't do public interviews any longer. Uh, you know, thank you for the offer. He was super lovely, but we won't get a chance to interview him unless he changes his mind. Uh, so when when we see, uh, we, we actually see them briefly in Defenders. He's, they're in Defenders number 127. Uh, it kind of hints that they've been aware of Iceman's activities as a superhero for years. So at some point he came out to them as a hero, uh, but they really want him to leave this life of danger behind and just be an accountant. Uh, they meet his superhero friends in the Defenders. Uh, he William addresses Bobby and Warren and Hank, and he says... You know, when you three boys were first at Professor Xavier's school, your teacher blanked out our memories of your mutant powers. I don't know how right that was, but at least Maddie and me weren't worrying ourselves sick all the time. Because when Bobby finally did tell us about the X-Men, well, we were a couple of nervous wrecks, wondering when the phone call would come, telling us our boy had been murdered by some crazy supervillain. And this sets up another aspect of the William, Maddie, Bobby relationship, where they're wondering, why the fuck do you have to be a superhero? We get that you have powers, we get that you have to like contain them and do something with them, but can't you just be an accountant? Can't you just find a wife and a home and give us grandkids? Which is again, that queer metaphor of, we get that you're gay, but do you have to be flamboyant? Do you have to march in those damn parades, Rob? Like, what? why do you have to oh, show yeah. everyone? Do, do you have to be a gay journalist, Rob? Could you, could you not do something a little bit more discreet? Could you not get something that pays better? Yes, I've had all of these discussions. Well, and, in that, um, and in that same issue, Bobby reveals he's back to being Iceman and Maddie, his mom, literally faints. Uh, she just she just passes right out. So this is clearly something they're struggling with. Yeah, this this is also like still in the era when, you know, even though the superheroes are meant to be like 20, all of their parents are like 80. <laughs> you know, like I, I love that. Um, I, I don't know if there's like an actual incontinuity explanation for this, but like Aunt May went from being like 80 years old and constantly having heart attacks to now she's like, you know, she's not uh, quite Marissa Tomei age in the comic books, but you know, she's she's running around, she's fit, she's running charities and stuff. Um, and and William and, and Madeline kind of go through a similar transformation here. They've always been like actually like canonically quite old as parents. I, I believe the Iceman series establishes like they had Bobby when they were 40, which yeah, yeah. at the time must've been like a medical miracle. <laughs> um but uh yeah like which, which also is surprising to me because it also establishes that they meet when maddie is like 17 yeah yeah so uh, the other thing before we jump there the, the other thing that happens in that defenders issue maddie faints iceman says i am a hero you have to deal with it maddie faints and when she wakes up he immediately placates her okay okay mom i'll just go back to school don't worry or i'll stay in school which again shows another dynamic but it's in that iceman limited series where they really get fleshed out uh, Jam DeMatteis works really hard. I, I think he pitched this series as an opportunity to explore complicated queer relationships with parents. And I don't know what his story is. I haven't read any interviews, but it's very apparent that there's a hidden subtext that Bobby's gay in this series. And it's also working really hard in these four issues. I really like this series, actually, but it's working really hard to show parents are still people. Yes, they have old and antiquated ideas. Yes, it's okay to keep your boundaries and set your limits, but don't forget that family matters more than anything. And it, it's it's done in a really in a really lovely way. It's uh, I, I, tell me your thoughts on the Iceman Limited series. Um, so I 
I love the Iceman uh, limited series. I think like, you know, the whole cosmic plot is is a, a little bit of a mess to me. With oblivion. Um, <laughs> with oblivion and his daughter. And I, I get I get very lost in, in what was supposed to actually be happening in, in that corner of the story. What sticks with me is the relationship with his parents, of course. Um, and, and all the like the subtext about Bobby like being gay. Um, there's there's also like some some interesting like little character notes here uh, that go a little bit uh, that I think have gone underappreciated in, in Bobby's backstory. Uh, he mentions that uh, you know um, his father's Irish and his mother's Jewish, mm-hmm. um, and he uh, he. I can't tell if this is he, meant to be a joke or well, not. His dad is Irish Catholic, and he does this yeah. whole like the Catholics hate the Jews and the Jews hate the Catholics, and here I'm the gay gay mutant kid that doesn't fit anywhere. It's kind of the subtext. Yeah. Well, I, and I have a similar, my, like my dad's Italian Catholic. My mom's Jewish. Uh, she converted. Uh, I was raised Catholic. It sounds like Bobby was raised both because he says he went to Hebrew school. Right. Uh, which I can't tell if he's meant to be joking there or not. But um, he, he that, that that's a, an interesting aspect to his. Oh, maybe that's what maybe that's what Kitty Pride saw in him. Maybe <laughs> a nice Jewish boy she could take home to mom. <laughs> yeah, um, but. Oh my God! Is is he's her like only Jewish boyfriend? I think he's ever, she's ever had. That's probably fair. Yeah. Um. So. <laughs> um. Yeah. I. I. I think it's interesting too because, it. I think it's an interesting nuance that that also doesn't get brought up uh, a lot about William and, and and Maddie Drake. Like, you know, they are a, a mixed couple. And, and yet they also have these bigoted notions uh, about mutants, about, um, you know, as we'll later see about other races, about uh, uh, gay people. Um, but there is this kind of like, you know, family is still very important uh, element to them. And which... they, certainly, they certainly don't see themselves as bigoted. I think they yeah. see themselves as very reasonable and Bobby as being difficult. Uh, so the, the Iceman series starts with him going to this big family party and they want him to just be as normal as possible, mute anything that's flamboyant or or mutant about you. And they're constantly criticizing him for not being normal enough, quote unquote, which, oh my God, for fuck's sake, that's something I went through growing up constantly is just, and I, I, just be this muted version of yourself to keep everybody comfortable, tone down any fabulousness at all be ashamed of yourself and don't you dare try to fit in because then we'll be embarrassed we'll be so embarrassed and i wonder to myself like is this something that they had to go through you know like when when william brought maddie home to his parents did they have to have like a talk about like okay you know don't bring up torah stuff (laughs) and when maddie brought william home to her parents like did did they have these kinds of discussion like is this something that they've had to go through um which i find really i find these like consistent inconsistencies really compelling about these people as characters um i think in later stories that we'll we'll get to eventually some of them get flattened out a little bit uh which i think is unfortunate but this this i think sets up a really interesting dynamic with these characters this um, is my favorite this is my if, if i chose a favorite story of these characters the drakes it's this it's this series right here bobby bobby goes outside the party and he pulls out a photo of william and maddie holding him as a baby and he says uh here look at this picture he's talking to this the daughter of oblivion who he thinks is a uh, that's that's a great 
you you rob are the daughter of oblivion that, that feels like something that like like a title someone should wear proudly anyway he, he looks at this picture and he says look at this picture can you believe willie and maddie drake were once young like this with hopes and dreams dreams and hopes and a future all laid out in front of them it's so hard to get beyond the fact that these uh that they're your parents you know so hard to see them as people instead of these and then aliens attack these these weird characters named idiot and white light attack they destroy the whole fucking house they're after this this girl that's the daughter of oblivion whose name is marge or something and uh uh the drakes are like watching in horror it's a friend's house not theirs they are disgusted about uh bobby being outed as a mutie and they're embarrassed like bobby how could you do this to our friends as if it's like his fault that the aliens attacked uh and then uh, Bobby gets arrested and put in jail. There's this local bigot named Ralph Ratchet, which is fantastic. I'm sure he's related to Nurse Ratchet somehow. Uh, and they immediately confront him. Let me read this conversation really quickly. Maddie says, you ruined your father's retirement party, destroyed our neighbor's house, scared us both half to death. Bobby says, I ruined? Didn't you see those two psychos who were trying to kill me? William says, we saw them all right. And so did cousin Joel and Aunt Anne and everyone else at the party. They saw you too, Bobby. They're not stupid people. They put two and two together. They know who you are. How many times have we begged you not to put this super, to put this superhero as insanity aside? You got out there for no good reason, taking crazy risks, facing death, and our hearts break. You got out there just for no good reason. Oh, I just said that, excuse me. You're just a stupid kid. Why can't you ever listen to us? Why? I have had it with you, Robert. Tonight, you brought your poison right to our doorstep and I'll never forgive you for that. Like this is intense subtext. Uh, again, the metaphor for queerness being very, very apparent. Uh, I don't know, what were your reactions to that? Um, I think one of my first reactions was, um, there was a little, there's a, a bit of confusion in this era of defenders about whether or not um, Bobby's identity is secret. Um, so I was, I was, to be honest, a little bit confused because uh, there, there is a story early on because Hank's identity is public, um, right. and and he's doing like speaking tours and stuff like that. And he, as he comes, he comes out publicly when he joins the Avengers. Yeah. Yes, uh, but he also like he's doing a uh, uh, speaking tour. Uh, they they appear at campuses to debate anti mutant bigots. Um, he he founds uh, in uh, a pro mutant rights organization. Um, which we never hear about again, but I so want to hear about this organization. It was called Monster. Monster was an acronym for something that I've forgotten. Um, mutants only need um, something, oh God, it's mutants only need support, tenderness. It, it's something, it's really, I, I, I can't remember it off the top of my head, uh, but um, he, they're backstage at this talk and someone comes up to him and this is like, oh, Iceman, I'm so glad to see you. You've been like, you're such an icon for our community. And, and he's like, uh, I guess I'm out now. <laughs> and it's one of those things that like, um, it, it plays both ways, but uh, it does, it, it made me wonder like, oh, so if he's out here, shouldn't his family already already know? Um, and so it, it's a uh, mutants only need sensitivity, tolerance, and equal rights. There we go. And, and I think I think this was in a novel. No, 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 no. They they followed up on it in a couple of novels. If I'm remembering, I'd have to do a oh. deep dive. I, I, listeners, you can go look that up. Just Google the monster acronym. You'll find it. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean uh, that that acronym probably doesn't mean a lot in the Krakoa era. Um, but, <laughs> but in this era, it was a big deal. Yeah, but back then, yeah, um, uh, you know, um, I, I think uh, 
Oh God. So it's, it's obviously like there's, there's, you know, so many layers to that, um, that speech that, that uh, William gives here. Like it's so, it's so torturous. It must've like broken Bobby's heart, well, broken and, his heart. And... and right after they blame him for aliens having attacked, uh, William starts to walk off and Maddie says, your father is not well, his heart's not strong. This could kill him. Please, please, please don't kill your father. So again, you being gay is gonna kill him which is such an unfair weight to put on anybody. Now, growing up Mormon, I there was the like the weight of if you're gay, you'll go to hell. But not only that, Mormons believe in like this forever family, like you're going to be tied together forever in heaven. And if you come out as gay, you will not be part of that. Like we will go on forever together and you will be severed from us. Like it's like an eternal damnation cut off from everything. You're going to ruin our lives. There's a, that's an unfair weight to put on anybody. And like, poor Bobby, like you coming out is not going to give someone a heart attack. And if so, it's their problem, not yours. But, uh, but, but this happens to queer people all the time. And, and this is like 100% like what a Jewish mother would say, or what, like, an Italian, what a Catholic mother would say, like, and, and a Mormon mother. <laughs> Well, and then Bobby's immediate thoughts right after that are like, I hate myself. I hate this. Why can't I just be normal? Yeah. It's just, it's, it's gross. What was your coming out story, Rob? Oh God. Um, so I, uh, I was like out to myself fairly young. Like I, I knew it was going on like, you know, 11 or 12. I didn't really start coming out until I was about 15, 16. I started going to, I lived in Toronto, um, which is uh, it's a big city and there's like, you know, a gay community. And uh, I had, I, I went to a pride parade and I found out that there was like a, a youth group that you could like go to, to meet other like young gay people. And it was once a week down at this community center downtown. And I would tell my parents, I was uh, doing group work, uh, like studying every Tuesday night. And, and I would go downtown and, and go to this group and, uh, meet other kids. And I didn't come out to my parents actually until I was like 21. Like it was in my senior year of college. Um, but I like, I went away for college and I was like fully out and it was, you know, not a big deal. Um, but yeah, uh, it was, it was hard coming out to them. Like they, they were not expecting it. Um, they, you know, I never, I didn't really do anything to hide. I, I like, I never like, talked about girls or had girlfriends or anything like that um and you know like one time I was back home visiting and they asked me about like am I seeing anyone do I have a girlfriend and I said no I don't date girls and it was you know they were not happy and it was hard for uh the rest of that Christmas visit and I went back to school and you know eventually like you know they they you know got used to it and it was fine yeah. Um, yeah. My mom had this, uh, I was, I was 32 when I finally officially came out and my mom had this, how could you do this to me? What did I do wrong reaction? And then a few months later, she's like, you know, I always knew you were gay. I just was really afraid of it. And ironically, I had a sister that came out before me. Uh, it's, it's a heavy thing. Now I have a 13 year old who has come out and he has gay dads. Uh, and it was easy for him to come out to us, but even then he didn't come out to kids at school or anyone in his family. Uh, like for a whole year. And then he finally told just a couple people. And he's even said out loud, like, it's not fair. Straight people never have to come out. 
So even for someone who's who's being raised in a tolerant place, it's still not an easy thing to navigate. Uh, mm -hmm. But for kids that grow up learning how to hide, we can understand why Bobby stayed closeted for so long. Now, yeah. the, next the next place he goes in this series, which is just ironic, Jam DeMatteis tells a gorgeous story. He ends up going back in time 40 years because of this whole thing with oblivion. We're not going to worry about all the details, but he gets to meet younger versions of his parents. Willie William is 22. Maddie is 17. She's a nursing student. He's a veteran. Uh, we learned that William's brother, Georgie, died in combat. And uh, he, excuse me, he's not a veteran. He tried to join the military, but got turned away because of his heart murmur, which we will see eventually killed him because he has all these heart attacks later in the comic books. Uh, and this is placed in the 40s, but Marvel's sliding time scale moves it up to just, you know, 20 years ago or whatever. Um, uh, Willie talks about how his old man never amounted to much. He bears a lot of guilt because he, his brother died and not him. Uh, Maddie's the one that like saves him. She's, uh, you're, you know, you are wonderful, you're sweet and you're kind. Uh, he spends all these hours with his parents and he like really gets to know them as people. And it's a really tender, lovely story. And then of course, aliens attack again. And William basically sacrifices his life to help Bobby here, which then like unwrites the whole timeline. And the rest of the series is Bobby trying to undo this. He's fighting oblivion. He eventually uh, restores the timeline, if you will, uh, and and this death of his parents or his dad in the past never happened. So it's some sort of alternate time that never took place. But it's a really tender thing where, again, you see the bigot balanced by this guy with a really good heart who's carrying weight you could never could have known. It was a different time as the message that's driven home again and again. Uh, did you have thoughts on this kind of Bobby going back in time story? I thought it was pretty wonderful. Yeah, no, I, I think uh, this is this is just such a it's a great story for learning to understand your parents as people. Like this is the first time Bobby really sees them as, as these people that, you know, had full lives before he came into the world. And, you know, they were confused and they didn't know how things worked and they didn't know what to do either. Um, and yeah, he, he understands that like the things that they say to him, like they're not necessarily, uh you know the the divine word of god they're just they're just people who are making decisions and saying things based on their own experiences and um it's such a it, it's such a weird thing for you know that moment when you first learn that about your parents and some people never learn that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, there's also there's also this beautiful moment where uh, you see a flashback to them holding baby Bobby and Maddie's like, he's different than other kids, but we just want him to have a normal future. Um, there's also, and this is where the queer metaphor is huge. Bobby's having this kind of dream sequence where he's remembering the champions. And in this image, he's positioned to look exactly at Hercules. And he's like, I just want to tell you that I love you. And, and then he goes, Dark Star, who's right behind Hercules. <laughs> so it's, like, it's like very apparent that Jam DeMatteis is, uh, is like leaning on this queer theory, but he couldn't say it out loud. And I mean, like, honestly, have you, have you read The Champions? Uh -huh. Uh -huh. In fact, I got okay. to interview, I got to interview Tony Isabella, who started The Champions. We had, a, we had okay. some fun talks about it. Okay, I, I I have so many questions for Tony Isabella about the champions because I mean like the very first caption from like panel page one panel one of of cap of champions number one is um, you know Iceman and, and Angel are just enrolled at UCLA and it identifies them as two confused young men. 
who are just trying to learn something new about themselves. And it, it's like, oh, okay, I see what we're doing. And then like Angel debuts in this like brand new outfit that is basically just a giant flesh arrow pointing at his penis. Um, it's like, there. I feel like this whole thing was just, the whole 17 issue series is just a metaphor for, for Bobby coming out of the closet. Now I know that the champions had like all this backstage drama and, and Isabella doesn't stay for the whole run and uh, it's rotating um, creators all, all right, through the right. run, which until they finally cancel it because I'm not, I don't think it's because it's a, it's a necessarily a bad book. It's well, just, they, they canceled it because they launched X Factor. They needed to bring all the five original X-Men back together. No, that that's defenders. Oh, pardon, pardon. Never mind. Yeah. Yeah, this, this is, is what happens when you like try to draw upon memory resources without being like carefully noted just before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this this is like champions. From what I understand, what I've read in interviews is like it was originally pitched as like a road trip series for Iceman and Angel, um, and they were just gonna like go from town to town solving problems with rotating guest stars and things like that. And then it got turned into what it was, which was kind of a mess because no one could agree on what it was supposed to be. Um, and and it's fun. It's it's a fun read, uh, even though it's silly. Um, but yeah, it, it it like it's one of those things where it's like, oh yeah, this stuff is definitely there from the beginning. Yeah. Um, but the Iceman yeah. series, the Iceman series ends with Bobby and his parents making amends. They they very much kind of just love each other. There's Bobby saying, "I understand you're human. Uh, you know, I've got powers. This is the way it is." And let me read his little speech right at the end to them. He says. Look, whatever the reason, my powers exist. They're not going away, and I've got to use them as best I can. You know, I used to think that Iceman couldn't cut it, and I didn't cut it a lot of the time, but not because of my powers, because I didn't believe in myself. I'd get lost in my own pain, blame you two for every insecurity and hang up, and maybe you were to blame up to a point, but I sure took the ball and ran with it, didn't I? Well, I'll tell you this, I'm not running anymore. And again, I feel like every queer person I know that is out and proud has had to have some form of this conversation, if not with their parents, then other people. Like, look, I'm gay. I can't change it. I get that you don't support it, but I'm going to live my life and I'm going to be me on my terms because not believing in myself is not working for me. Uh, it, which again, it's it just is really driving home that point. Uh, and it's it's complex and it's messy and it doesn't end in a beautiful place. I mean, they say we love you, Bobby, at the end, but you can see there's still plenty of tension remaining. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and I feel like this is uh, our first real uh, cycle of going through this with these characters. We're gonna we're gonna see this uh, again and again over the the next few years as we as we continue on our our, our reread. But um, I really think this is you know this this is such a a, a a nice wrap up of their relationship. Of course, like, you know, being uh, being someone's child means uh, constantly learning new ways to disappoint them. Um, so, you know, the, to, to a certain extent, like this cycle makes sense that we keep seeing this kind of story over and over again with these uh, with these characters. Um, but uh, so well, why don't we Bobby joins X Factor. Bobby yep. rejoins the X Men. He goes through all kinds of shit, and then Chris Claremont leaves the book. Scott Lobdell takes over. So the next time we see the Drakes is in 1992. Scott Lobdell and Will Portacio bring the Drakes back. Bobby is dating Opal Tanaka, and both the Drakes have gone from skinny to quite uh, rotund. <laughs> they are sitting at a table. They look like they've aged a few years. 
And uh, uh, William is super racist in this story. He calls Opal an oriental. They don't understand why Bobby just can't date a nice normal girl is the subtext. It's very uncomfortable. And they're bigoted a few times over the years, but this is their worst story. Uh, Opal gets attacked by those like weird cyberi samurai guys. Uh, and the Drakes are, this is exactly the type of wacky ninja-ness I'd expect from you and yours, he says to Opal. Uh, it's it's not a comfortable storyline. And then in X-Men 308, we see the Drakes come over for Thanksgiving dinner. So Bobby's like dealing with these very bigoted parents uh, and still constantly disappointing them, but they're still working to keep the peace. Uh, did you have thoughts on this uh, racist version of William that shows up? Well, at this point, um, you know, we're we're moving forward in time almost a decade. Uh, it's been a while since we've checked in on these characters. I guess we can do this this loop with these characters again. Um, and, and this is again, it's it's a it's a different way that Bobby can show up and disappoint his parents. Um, you know, hey, look at me. I'm trying to be straight for you. And yeah, but you're not being straight in the right way. Uh, you are, you know, you're you're dating someone we don't approve of for reasons that are, you know, not kosher. <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I think it's, um, it's, it's an, un, it's an unpleasant read to, to have William come out this way um, in this story. Uh, and I don't know, it's, it's, it's unpleasant, but it's, it's also like it, it did feel at the time like I could see this happening with like a child and their parents and um and do especially like, like uh, do you like Opal Tanaka? Um no, not because she's Japanese, because she's so wrong for Bobby. Yeah, yeah. Um she's a very flat character to me. She doesn't have uh, a lot of love I, I mean with the right writer of course she could be really lovely there there's a there's a, a subtext here and this is a very kind of white way of thinking and i'll fully own that but with a number of white queer people that i see uh they will do something to shock their parents instead of coming out my little sister as an example started smoking to see how my mom would she literally said this out loud like i just wanted to see how mom would react to that then she got her tongue pierced and my mom lost her shit both times and then my sister came out it was almost like a way of testing the waters uh and there seems to be almost some interesting queer subtext there like is bobby dating uh, uh a woman of a different race to see how his family will react which is uh, an interesting concept that that is interesting and and you know it is again one of those like consistent inconsistencies like again you know the drakes are uh uh like you know kind of mixed couple depending on you know how much you consider catholic jewish to be mixed um they're i mean they're at least they're an interfaith couple um and and yet they're they're this well, at least William appears to be this bigoted. Matt, Maddie seems to be like, oh, come on, don't say things like that. You know, he, she's trying to keep the peace without being like helpful. Um, I think, I don't know. So uh, I, I reread X Factor uh, over a number of blog entries for Iceman is a homosexual. And I still don't understand the point of it um, other than, you know, here is another X book here, here is Jean Grey back. We don't have a story to tell with her, but we're we're going to give you all. And it rips um, uh, Hank 
Bobby and Warren out of the Defenders where they actually had ongoing stories and throws them into this thing where they all are kind of, well, I mean, uh, Warren very quickly gets his apocalypse story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and poor Candy Southern uh, gets done so dirty in this uh, in this run of X Factor. Um, she was such a, like, I did not realize how great a supporting character she had become over Defenders. Like, she was the leader of the Defenders. She's as a wonderful. We'll and do then, a Patreon episode on her sometime. I love her very much. Yeah, she's fantastic. And then, you know, they, they put her in X Factor and basically murder her off panel. Um, and then uh, they make her like, you know, like a psychotic, like, you know, suspicious girlfriend sort of character, which is just really unfortunate. Um, and then Bobby and Hank like barely have a story in the entire like five or six year run of, of X Factor. Uh, and it feels like toward the end, Louise Simonson was just like, well, we haven't done anything with Bobby in a while. Let's send him to a record shop to buy a Kate Bush album. <laughs> which I just think is such a fantastic little detail. Um, and we'll, we'll have, we'll, we'll have him fall in love with the record store girl. Um, and eh, I mean, like I kind of, I, I, I wish I could be brought to care about Opal, but she's just, I, I don't know. Like she doesn't even seem to like, have as much character as Vera and Zelda did yeah, back exactly. in the day. Like, yeah. And she had more time to shine, uh, but she's not a character I love a lot. Uh, when we jump to X-Men or Uncanny X-Men 319, uh, there is one poignant story at the beginning. Bobby's on a road trip with Rogue who is dressed in next to nothing and Bobby is not even looking. <laughs> but uh, there's a moment where he has built this giant ice sculpture that looks like a castle. And he remembers out loud to Rogue that he was a kid building sandcastles and wanted his dad to notice. And uh, William responded to Bobby, quote, about building sandcastles, I think it's hardly a skill that'll serve you well in life, Robert. A man doesn't get anywhere in this world by dreaming boy, by making castles in the sand. Uh, and, and Bobby's very, very sad. He takes Rogue home. They are displeased. William, at least, is very, very disgusted that he's brought a, a mutant girl home. And Bobby stands his ground like, sorry, I disappointed you, dad. Fuck you. And and leaves. And Rogue tells them off right before they walk out. Uh, and uh, I, well, I, I misplaced the part. Bobby, after leaving his parents, that's when he builds the giant ice sandcastle thing. Like, I'm going to own it. I'm going to allow myself to dream a little bit. Uh, there's a really big heaviness to this relationship. Um that uh, that's that's poignant here, uh, and then we and then we go into the Operation Zero Tolerance stuff, where William hardly yeah. feels like the same character. Yeah, I feel so. I want to talk about this this sort of arc that because this is like really Scott Lobdell's whole story with Iceman um, is mostly contained in this year. And uh, first of all, I just just to uh, correct something here, this is not the, the road trip story where Rogue is like half naked all the time. Oh my goodness, Rogue I'm conflating my stories. I apologize. Yeah, no, this Rogue shows up in this like, you know, tight jeans and, uh, you know, a nice little uh, shirt and then like a bright red blazer with giant shoulder pads because this is still 1992. <laughs> um, she is coming over for dinner. So, um, no, this is, I think... So the the sort of trajectory that we're seeing with the with the Drakes here, it's it was surprising to me when the Drakes showed up for Thanksgiving um, at at the X Men Mansion. 
I, I think this is like the first time anyone's parents has ever like really been invited to the mansion. Sure. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, uh, the, the Worthingtons show up in the 60s unannounced and get kidnapped by Magneto. Um, but other than that, I don't think parents have really ever been to the mansion as guests and met the X-Men. Sure. Um, and I remember reading that issue and being like, who are these people in the background? And I had to like reason out that it was them. Um, and it's it's interesting that they they do they make an effort that that is an effort they they have come and they they are you know mostly pleasant to the X Men and then this happens this three nineteen I think so I missed this issue when I was collecting because it you know when I was like uh, how old would I have been 10, 11? Um, this didn't look like it was going to be a fun exciting issue <laughs> so I didn't buy it um, and I I came back to it years later and was like wow this is this is like such a great story. Um, it really is, uh, you know, it's it just crystallizes Bobby's character so much. And at this point, he's kind of, he's really going through it where uh, he is, uh, he's been, had his mind taken over by Emma Frost. Uh, he's, you know, had proof shown in, it, like thrown in his face that he's underusing his powers. Um, and he's, you know, Emma Frost has been taunting him for for weeks saying like, I'm not going to help you. You you need to learn to do better. Um, and uh, and also like very much. Uh, with, with kind of a tone of if you've got powers, fucking use them. Like learn how to use them, be responsible for them. Yeah, and, and quite frankly, the tone of what she's saying is you've got powers, learn how to use them, faggot. Like yeah. she... She is, and you know, she is one of the few uh, characters in the X Men universe that is allowed to say the F word. Um, but uh, you got a she, gay brother at the very least, exactly. And that, that's what's fascinating to me is like, you know, that Christian Frost didn't exist yet at this point. Um, he was he was created by uh, Grant Morrison. Retroactive continuity. Yeah. Yeah, and and I'm like, when you put that into context, everything she says to Iceman, which came across so bitchy. And so like homophobic and so um, like intensely mean at the time, you realize like she is filtering this through her grief about the Hellions, but also her grief over her brother who, you know, uh, I believe committed suicide at this point. Like at this uh, point, attempted, he, attempted suicide. He like went to yes. a psych ward. I haven't right. read yes, Frost in a minute. He attempted suicide and then turned to drugs and then yeah. ended up in a in a rehab facility, I believe. In an institution, yeah. yeah. Uh, he he was institutionalized. And and so like this is she is really lashing out at him because she is she recognizes like you could be the hero that all these people need, and you're choosing not to. Um, and so like he I reading that in that light like you know the next couple of issues he tries to have a conversation with beast about this he tries to have a conversation with rogue about this this is in x-men 38 which is a, a very talky issue after the phalanx covenant story uh, and then you know he comes to his parents to like try to have a serious conversation with them and you know in a way he does kind of sabotage it um but he he also you know, he he is standing his ground for the first time with his dad, which I is such a, a incredible scene. Um, and and Stephen Epting really knocks this issue out of the park. Um, you know, he's not the, especially at this point in his career, he wasn't the flashiest artist, and I didn't always appreciate it. But coming back to it, he's oh, I love so I love Epting's art. I think it's gorgeous. Yeah, 
Yeah, he, um, I, I think, you know, he just got so much better over time and, and inkers were, were better at working with him. The colorists got better as well. Uh, this, this isn't a flashy issue, but it is so expressive. The character, like the character acting is so great. The staging is so perfect. Um, this is, this is a really great story and Rogue, this is like kind of the beginning of, uh, Bobby and Rogue's friendship, which I feel like is such an underused element of, uh, of, them as characters like they had this like beat in the like middle 90s where they were like you know best friends and it just disappears after like 1996 i want to say um and and she's such an ally here and it's so great like he's bringing her to his parents house to like be his beard he actually shows up wearing a beard <laughs> like and his dad comment on it like why would you come to dinner all scraggly yeah, it it like I mean this is they're putting like and he's never had facial hair before anywhere in the comics. This is just you know uh, Lobdell really spelling it out for everybody, um, and and Rogue is so great and so and and I love that like you know he takes a moment to tell her stop seeing that jerk Gambit like he doesn't treat you right, and yeah it, they, their friendship is so great and we'll see more of that in 95 when they go on their actual road trip um yeah sorry sorry listeners for conflating those two stories i apologize the rogue rogue iceman friendship uh those two issues kind of lobbed together in my brain i apologize yeah. no 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 it, i mean it, it's it's totally understandable as well um because you know their 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 major stories are all road trip stories and so- so tell us what happens with the Graydon Creed storyline. Graydon Creed is the son of the human son of Mystique and Sabretooth. He's running for president on an anti-mutant platform. This is years before Trump, but yeah. good Lord, is this an uncomfortable story. The Friends of Humanity. I got to talk to Philip Kennedy Johnson on my podcast about how when he rewrote the Friends of Humanity recently, he's like, yeah, I basically just saw them as all the Trump ralliers. Uh, you know, ready to fucking storm the Capitol. Uh, and and Bobby's dad shows up at a rally to protest and gets fucking beat up for it. It's it's a crazy storyline and a weird turn for William. This is, you know, it, it's funny because this is where I am with my Bobby reread right now. And uh, I'm, I'm you know, months behind on posting and the, the uh, Operation Zero Tolerance uh, blog post. I'm kind of like, I just got to the this part of the story, the 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 uh, William uh, gets beat up part, and, and, um, and just for context, this is in 1996. It's still Scott yeah. and and anyone who wants to read this is X Men Volume Two Number 58, and then carrying over into Uncanny X Men Number 340. But go yes. ahead, Rob. Uh, so you know, just like putting this in perspective, uh, if you were a reader in 1996. Um, a lot of people looked at, and you can like look at contemporary reviews and even like, you know, Paul O'Brien's X indexes from, you know, a decade ago or, or two decades ago, covering Graydon Creed's appearances at this time. Everyone said Graydon Creed is just too over the top to be believable. He's too stupid. He's too much of a thug. These rallies, these pitchfork carrying rallies are are way over the top. They don't match up with what's going on in reality. And now, you know, 20 years later, 25 years later, it feels like they were just prescient. And it, it it's so, it actually is really like, it was hard to reread these issues because I'm looking at, you know, reliving the 2016 and 2020 elections um, because 
Graydon Creed is as stupid, as entitled, as racist, uh, and as successful as Donald Trump was. I want to agree with you and say, yeah, this was not something that was in America at the time. But if I'm honest, I don't think we've ever been without this presence in America. I think we've always had people saying, you know, round up the gays and put them on an island. This is the AIDS era where people are coming on television and saying things like, uh, you know, homosexuals are the one that caused this problem. And now they're trying to corrupt my children. I feel like there has been an anti-gay agenda, which translates into an anti-mutant agenda and an anti-black agenda and an anti-abortion agenda. I feel like that's always been present. So I, I, I wanna believe like the Friends of Humanity is a rare thing. We saw it emphasized in the Trump era of politics more than we normally see it in the public consciousness, but I feel like it's always been there at the same time. I feel like, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, forgive me, I, I did not grow up in this country. Um, technically, I'm, I'm Canadian, uh, and, and uh, Paul O'Brien is British. Um, but, you know, looking at it from the outside, like, I don't think things like the rallies and stuff like that, like the Friends of Humanity rallies, the people with pitchforks, it felt like back then, it was still like, polite, you know, like there was, you know, it was just kind of accepted. Yeah, you could round up all the gays in the, in, and throw them on an island. And, uh, yeah, again, I want to agree though, but Rob, right after this is when Matthew Shepard was killed mm -hmm. and you had people standing outside his funeral with picket signs saying all faggots should burn in hell. Uh, I, so I, I, again, I, I get it, I get it. And I think, I think it was in the public consciousness portrayed as more polite, but I feel like it's always been there. Uh, I don't know. It's a, it's an interesting thing. We uh, we did a read on my podcast recently, and it actually hasn't come out yet of the first issue of Children of the Atom. And uh, I don't know if you've read that recently. It's a it's an alternate universe, very very strong in the met mutant metaphor. And there's a guy named William Metzger who just looks like Hitler, holding rallies, and like it's showing in the background mutants being lynched. And I literally say during our recording, like this wasn't there. And 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 uh, and Steve Duda, who you know, God bless him, uh, God bless them, was like, no, this has been there. There were people being killed in this era. Uh, for being queer. And I, I had to sit and go, mm, yeah, no, it really was very present, uh, but certainly much more loud in recent years. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I don't want to argue with you about this, because oh, obviously, no. like, you know, and even, even like, this discussion is not argument. In the Senate at, the, at this point in, in history. Sure. Um, but you didn't have, you didn't have politicians very openly saying things like this and being elected for it sure if, if that if that's like the the slight distinction i want to make here and maybe it's a marginal distinction maybe that's the point of this story um yeah i think we and, can both be right absolutely yeah yeah um and and that i that i think is you know th this coarseness that has come into society now is is really um i think predicted by by this uh great and creed story and um I know, so, so to take it back to William and, and Maddie, um, well, William, at least, I don't think Maddie even appears in this story. No, she doesn't. So um, uh, Bobby is has infiltrated uh, uh, the Graydon Creed campaign to spy on it for the X-Men. And he's gotten a very like senior post in the campaign. Um, uh, Robert Drake went undercover uh, with the very inventive uh, code name Drake Roberts. Um, <laughs> Which is, which is actually, you know what, that is a step better than uh, Cannonball Sam Guthrie, who went under the, the codename Samson Guthrie. 
So, you know, these are this is just a real crack team of vetters on the Graydon Creed campaign. This is why he was like portrayed as too stupid to function. I believe um, there was a point where Captain America, Steve Rogers, went undercover as Roger Stevens. If I'm remembering, I think that's canon. I'd have to look it up, though. That That is, that is possible. But also, <laughs> I mean, like, you know, both of these people are like fairly well-known individuals like Sam Guthrie has a criminal record he's a you know an ex-force terrorist at this point um Bobby Drake of course was was publicly known as a member of uh, X Factor and the Defenders um so this it, anyway the point is um William very surprisingly turns up at a rally and and uh, says, what are you going to do next? You're going to go after the welfare mothers. You're going to go after uh, minorities. You're going to go after whoever. And and he gets attacked for it. And and Bobby has this like really beautiful moment because William doesn't know that he's there. And he Bobby just sees William stand up for him. And it's again, it's not for the first time because he stood up for him like way back in his origin story in the in the 60s. But this is a really dangerous thing that William is doing. Um, and, and it's the right thing to do. And Bobby really respects this. And I think like it, it is, a, I think it's a turning point in their relationship because, you know, when last we saw them, they, it, you know, Rogue just called him a bigot to his face. And I think that must've landed for him. I think something changed there. He recognized what he was doing and he really wanted, and I think this is a story about him wanting to change. And this is the culmination of Scott Lobdell's story for this character. Yeah. Um, well, and this is a guy who has seen his home and his restaurant attacked every time Bobby's sitting there. He's They're attacked just because Bobby is there. Uh, but now he's seeing rallies on the news where like there's a guy calling for mutants to be rounded up uh, and, and he stands up for it, which has always been part of his character as well. From his very first appearance, it was, oh, no, the cops are rushing the house. I'll protect you. Uh, so it, it is it is key to his character. Uh, and there's this gorgeous cover, uh, Uncanny X-Men 340 with Bobby, like cradling his father's broken body, uh, which is heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah, uh, this is I, I think this is one of like the best elements of the Scott Lobdell era is this story he has for Iceman and his parents. Um, and, and, you know, it's also one of the few, I feel like complete stories of this era uh, where you get a real complete character arc, um, which, you know, we'll, we, we will come back to again because this arc goes in cycles, uh, unfortunately, mm -hmm. but uh, yeah, it's, it's great. And then, um, you know, William is in the hospital and, and he's still trying to figure it all out. Like he's still trying to figure out what, why do the X-Men do this? Why don't they hide? Um, you know, he says to, to Gambit, you know. Yeah, Gambit's sitting at his bedside and he, he says, and I, can, I just want to quote this. He says, you're one of his friends, right? Why? Why do you do it? You're a good looking guy like my son. If you didn't tell people you were a mutant, who would know? Oof, which is again the the queer symmetry of like yeah. can't we just mute it like do you have to wear those pants or walk in that way or or stretch your wrist in that way because if yeah. you could, if you could blend in why would you possibly want to be proud of yourself and out? and that that you're a good looking guy thing too is like oh it's such a waste that you're a good looking person and you're not putting it in a vagina and it's, also is bobby's dad just a little bit gay he's a he's, he thinks gambit's hot <laughs> look everyone thinks gambit's hot that is that is his mutant power um no i i don't i don't think william is is i, I think that's literally like something 
people say that's that's it's just quoting the line there like people say that about gay people all the time you're a good looking guy why would you do this yeah yeah you could get you any could girl any you want woman. yeah yeah um and and you know and and the the uh, the the mutant metaphor here works as well because you know it's not like he's saying this to Hank, right? Like he's 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 making a point here. It's it's like it's not like you have no choice. You're not you don't have giant wings growing out of your back. You don't have blue fur everywhere. You could be normal if you wanted to. Well, and then Gambit asks William, "Why did you do this? Why did you stand up and fight this way?" And and William says, "This is different. They came from my family. They're threatening families." And Gambit says, "Well, that's why we do it too. This is about family." Uh, Bobby quits the X Men to go take care of his dad for a while, and uh, he's there in a couple of issues that aren't super important. Uh, many years later, we fast forward over a decade, where that's when we get the the Roberto Aguirre Sacasta story uh, that shows Iceman's origins. I do want to just like add one more thing here though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think it's, it. this is such an interesting issue because it's Gambit that he has this conversation with as well. Um, you know, it, Lobdell has this whole story about Gambit's guilt of, over things that he's done in the past and what why he's trying to be a hero. And I think this feeds into it. And I think that that was really clever. But also um, when Bobby returns to the X-Men during the Operation Zero Tolerance story, he does you know, he's been taking care of his dad and his dad is the one who actually says to him, you know, it's go, time to go back and fight. It's yeah. time to go back and fight. And that is, that I think is the culmination. That That is the actual end of this story arc that uh, Lobdell had been building since he took over, you know, 50 or 60 issues early, earlier, um, where uh, William has done a complete 180. He is saying, no, go fight, go be the Iceman. And that, that I think, that, like, it's such a wonderful, like, place where they end that story. Um, and there's, a, there's an element to this, too, actually, it just, just occurred to me. On one side, William is a bigot who's ashamed of his son, and, that, and it's easy to see it that way. But on the other side, and I think a lot of parents of gay or trans kids go through this, I think he's literally afraid for his son's safety. If you come out and you're proud, then you could be attacked, which I, I know is something my mom has struggled with, with me coming out. Uh, like, do you have to be so loud about it? What happens if you're ever attacked? Uh, and, you know, there's a part of him that really, really loves his son here, too, which is, uh, uh, I don't know, it's interesting. So, yeah, this is a good character turn for him. Yeah. Um, so when next we see him, I, I believe it's the Marjorie Lou story. Yeah, yeah. So we jump to 2013, Astonishing X-Men, Volume 2, number 64 and 65, Marjorie Lou and Gabriel Hernandez-Walta. Uh, give us an Iceman who has been corrupted by the Seed of Apocalypse. Uh, this is something that has drawn, driven Iceman mad. He is not out of the closet yet, but he is uh, all over, like, uh, spreading his... Uh, his. Wait, has he come out here? No. No, this is before the Bendis story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so he he is uh, he has caused, like, a frozen apocalypse to happen all over all over the place. Uh, we get to see a, a, a story where Iceman Unhinged goes back to confront his dad, who is shoveling snow outside. Uh, there's a sarcastic interchange. Uh, Maddie comes out uh, and Bobby says, why could you never accept me? Uh, you were never proud of me. And William's exhausted. Like, how many times have we had this conversation? Nothing ever changes. We're never going to agree 
Uh, Maddie tries to placate things. Uh, Bobby says, I just wanted to give you one more chance. And William says, and I'll quote, one last chance at what? Being your father, it doesn't matter what kind of freak power you've got or how far you run. You've only got one father, son. Hate it all you want, uh, but that's me. Uh, Bobby says, I don't need you anymore. And he grows a pair of wings and he starts to fly away. And his words have shocked William enough that it's triggered a heart attack. Uh, so William, we, we learned in that 1984 series, he has uh, had a heart murmur his whole life. And now we see he's, he's looking much more elderly here. Uh, Bobby doesn't help his dad. He says, you already had a cold heart. I just made it colder. And he leaves and like lets his dad have a heart attack right there. Uh, so it, he's gone pretty far. Obviously, he's under the influence of something terrible. And Williams rushed in for medical help. And uh, then we kind of don't see him again until 2017. It's uh, it's kind of brushed over. Did you uh, did you enjoy this uh, this Marjorie Luce portrayal of the Drakes? Um, I gotta be honest. I did not have time to uh, reread this story um, before before today's talk. Uh, but um, I remember at the time just thinking this was such a like a weird turn for Iceman to take and. And quite frankly, to be um, frustrated with the fact that we were spinning around this cycle with uh, with William again, um, I really felt like we had got to a um, we we'd come to a, a nice place in their relationship, and now we're just circling back through the cycle again. He's upset that he's a he's a mutant, whatever. Um, we don't really have a clear. Uh, Reason well, but, I mean to come to come in his defense, Bobby shows up like in full ice form. <laughs> like he's he is not at all trying to uh, to uh, yeah no he's he's very he's very very evil in this uh, and yes I, I think his parents can probably sense that. Yeah no I I think that's true but you know like Bobby is you know he's he's barely himself in this story but I I just I didn't. I feel like I didn't need to see like yet again William upset that Bobby uh, is you know being a mutant and he's not here shoveling the driveway for him and yada yada. Um, th th it's a small part of this story, so it doesn't. It's not enough to like really think like this is a small fight. It's not the the crux of their story. Um, I uh, I really. Um, I have more of an issue with with the 2017 series than I do with this. We're going to get there next. So uh, just to sum up a whole bunch of continuity very quickly, Brian Michael Bendis takes over the book. He brings the teenage original X-Men forward to the present. Jean Grey reads teenage Bobby's mind and says, you're gay. And then he's like, yes, I am gay. And he then uh, confronts his adult self who finally comes out. Uh, he gets a boyfriend and then teenage Bobby eventually gets sent back to the past and has to forget that he ever came out as part of this like very tragic story, which shows a huge sacrifice, which is referenced a few times in the comics, but it's very sad. Adult Bobby, once teen Bobby goes back, adult Bobby gets all the memories of these time travel adventures back. Uh, so we, we get to this space where in 2017, Cena Grace, who is again an openly gay writer, uh, and Alessandro Vitti launch an Iceman series that runs over for 12 issues over two volumes. And the Drakes are regular characters. There's a ton of exploration given uh, to not only them, but their uh, their relationship with Bobby. Uh, Iceman gets word that William has pericarditis or heart disease. He's in the hospital uh, and uh, Bobby rushes to see his parents. He's still not out to them. 
Uh, and uh, they immediately, do you have any new girlfriends? His mom says, what happened to the green haired one? <laughs> and while Bobby's at the hospital, again, because he's there, a purifier attacks, uh, wants to kill him for being a mutant. Uh, and uh, Maddie like, is overwhelmed. My husband's in the hospital with a heart attack. Can you just go away? I can't do this anymore. Uh, Bobby, a couple issues later, goes to his parents' house. He brings desserts. Uh, they don't eat sweets anymore. And Bobby's like, why didn't you tell me? Uh, they, they long for the day when Bobby is back in high school. Uh, that's the last time they felt they were a family unit. Before my boy had to go fight for the cause, they say. Uh, they see him on the news all the time. They're super frustrated. Bobby's very passive aggressive. Uh, they, they, they keep commenting on things like his skin tight uniform and how he used to throw fits when he was a kid. Uh, why can't you be a fireman instead of this superhero who's constantly in danger? Uh, like their relationship is just fraught with tension. And then again, the purifiers attack their house. Uh, they hold the, the Drakes at gunpoint. Uh, William fakes a heart attack so that he can help fight back. Uh, and Iceman defeats them. And uh, Bobby sits and talks to his mom after this big fight with the purifiers. I'm kind of running through a few issues really quickly here. Uh, Bobby says, mom, I get why you don't see, want to see me right now. There's some life stuff I've been dealing with that has me shaken up, but now's not the time to get into it. It makes me want to not be fakey fake when we're together. So he's out and gay now. He's trying to date men, but he's still not out. Um, uh, uh, Maddie says, you know, your powers last night were really scary. And he says, my powers used to scare me too. Uh, but the possibilities they bring makes things a lot better. Maddie then says, uh, I'll say this once and don't repeat it to your father. You're right. We don't give you any credit for trying and we don't know much about each other. This isn't an easy process for us. The world says mutants are okay today, but that doesn't change that decades of thinking that they were not. I'll convince the big lug to come see you at your job. Just give us time, okay? So let's take it that far. Bobby's still not out. The mutant metaphor is still very present as a queer theory analysis. Uh, Bobby's dad is sick. His mom is defensive. Uh, things are tense, uh, but uh, I don't know. Tell me your thoughts. I, I know it's a little bit of a retread of their relationship already, but done in kind of a different way. It is, and, and you know, to be fair, you know, when you're talking about characters this minor, I think you are allowed to sort of gloss over minor stories from from the past uh you know like when Cena's writing this like that that character arc and had ended 20 years ago mm -hmm. that was like the last time we got a serious William Drake story so um you know he he is I think within his rights to sort of re-examine this relationship and and uh you know do it in a way that brings in all of these like now 21st century aspects of of uh uh, Iceman's character and the, the interesting parallel through line though if you go all the way back to the Iceman limited series in the 80s there's that mention of Maddie like Bobby calm down or you're going to give your dad a heart attack and then yep. in Marjorie Lou's story he literally gives his dad a heart attack and now he's out and proud and no longer willing to put up with their shit while his dad is ill and at risk of another heart attack there's there's a yep. weight to it that that goes across the decades which is interesting yeah um and I I think you know uh to be to be fair, I think uh, Cena's um, portrayal of Iceman is very strong. Like this is this is he has a real handle on this character's voice, on on like a really interesting take on the way that he approaches things, on his feelings, um, on his relationships with uh, all sorts of characters. I just feel like Maddie and William are 
you know, made so over the top in this series that like there are moments that I think like really shine through that I, I really like. I love that, um, you know, Maddie suggests, you know, if you want to be a superhero, why don't you just be a firefighter? You would be very helpful and you'd have a retirement plan. That is that is such a like smart, actual like thing for a parent to say to a child in this situation. Um, you know, if if the X-Men are so rich, where is your pension? Right. You know, and um, where is that? I, I always wondered this, like how, what did the X-Men do for money? Does Xavier give them an allowance? Do they have a union? <laughs> do they do they negotiate? Um, yeah, I, I think that's, I, I think that's actually like kind of, kind of an interesting thing, uh, spin to take on this. Um, well, and then the queer, the queer side of this too, uh, we all reach a point where like Bobby has placated his parents for years, whatever it does to keep, to keep you happy, to keep you comfortable. Now he's out and they don't know it. But I think every queer kid who comes out starts looking for signs. Like, do you accept me for who I am or not? I'm putting my foot down. If you don't want my boyfriend in this house, I'm not coming over anymore. All the silence suddenly gets replaced by very strong-willed determination. And this is that era where Bobby's not willing to put up with the shit anymore. He's tired of playing the games. He's exhausted by being closeted. And I certainly went through that with my family. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I that's that's what is so great about this series is the the handle that Cena has on Bobby. Um, now we're I, our next chunk of this is when Bobby actually comes out. Yeah. So uh, the, parent, the parents by, by come seeing, over. The, the parents come over to the X mansion, and Bobby opens the door and says, "I'm gay." Like he can't yeah. keep it in anymore. He, Kitty, Kitty Pride's right there, and and there's a gorgeous, like very tense issue uh, that Juggernaut's almost a background character in. I just I love this like very derpy expression on his face when he just says i'm gay it's like it, it is an almost full page like splash page of just bobby's face and i don't know what is going on with like this this facial expression is just so bizarre to me but um yeah and that is the cliffhanger of the issue. He just says, I'm gay and we'll resolve it next issue. So um, tell, tell me about that issue. How do his parents react to Bobby being gay? It's a, it's a tense, intense story, but I feel like every queer kid went through that with their parents, right? Yeah, to me, it feels, this is, this is where it kind of loses me a little bit on William and Maddie, um, especially because like Maddie had always been the sort of reasonable one in the relationship. Uh, you know, Maddie is the one who's like, well, I'm done. This is all your fault. It's not my family. It's, you know, there are no queers and muties in my family. I'm like, whoa, Maddie, like well, chill. She, she jumps to some uncomfortable places. Are you having sex with men? Yeah. You had sex with women, like, surely doesn't that mean that you're straight uh and then even on a deeper level well we, we also get a mention of i guess i never get grandkids now which is again a very jewish mother thing right but there's even yeah. a deeper level of we lost bobby to iceman like mm -hmm. the iceman won we don't get our bobby anymore there, I, I think all of those are are very very intense places for it to go it's 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 kind of great if a little over the top but the x-men are always a soap opera of course no, and and definitely that that is true. I just I kind of I want the the nuance of those characters. I wanted the nuance of those characters a little bit more in this story, and it just felt so, um, so like harshly black and white. Like like we've lost all the development that we've had with these characters in the past um, to get to this story, uh, and also it just it. 
I don't know, it feels a little dated for a couple who, you know, live in the suburbs of New York City in 2017 to be having this, like this visceral reaction. I wish I agreed with you, Rob. I work as a therapist with the queer community and I see people in their 20s, 30s, 40s coming out to their grown parents who will say things to their kids. And I see this in therapy all the time. Like, couldn't you have just killed yourself? Like, do you know what coming out does to me? I still hear stories like that very regularly. And the subtext here seems to be like, Bobby, we're working to accept you as a mutant, but now you have to come out as gay. There's the line where William says like, uh, like uh, uh, my son is gone and there's some homosexual, homo superior, homo everything, except for freaking simple sapien in his place. Uh, it's this very, very big emotional reaction. They're seeing Bobby coming out as like a sign of selfishness almost. And it's gross. And I wish we didn't have those stories still, uh, but it still happens. It's disgusting. Yeah, I, that's fair. I mean, like this, ultimately this is a matter of taste. And for me, I just feel like, I don't know. I feel I feel like we lost something a little bit. Uh, and and Cena does walk this story back a bit in in the arc that he's telling. You know, when we finally get, they have a little bit of a resolution at the end of his series. In the best way. We'll talk about it in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Bobby has to rush off to fight Juggernaut, and Kitty gives the Drakes. I mean, they're disgusted, and he she gives the Drakes a letter Bobby had written in advance, just in case. And let me read this letter out loud. It's it's lovely. And it's, it's, uh, it's, it's told in caption boxes while Bobby's fighting Juggernaut, which is fantastic. Uh, Mom, Dad, this isn't easy to say, so much so that I'm not saying it, but writing it down on paper instead. It's taken my whole life to be honest with myself. And at the risk of 86ing our relationship, it's time to be honest with the both of you too. I want to be with men. Trust me, I'd change it in a heartbeat if it meant avoiding that you let us down face. But there isn't a single girl in the world who's been able to distract me long enough from the fact that they never fit in my life. I blamed it on being a mutant at first. This is who I am. And as for, excuse me, and for as much as I've tried, it can't be changed. You may think I'm a cruddy son, but I'm an excellent hero. Fighting is part of my everyday life. And sometimes I think it's the only way I know how to resolve issues, but I'm so tired of fighting. If we're going to have a real relationship, if I'm ever going to be happy, I need to stop worrying about whether my choices make you happy. Let's not fight about what isn't necessary. Please accept this fact. Please still love me, your son, Bobby. When I came out, I wrote letters like this. Like, I want you to know that I tried being straight. I want you to know I tried to fix it. I want you to know I don't want to do this, but this is who I am. And now that I've been out a few years, I'm like, I don't have anything to apologize for. But at the time, I felt like I had to. And that's something I think, again, a lot of gay people have had to really wrestle with. What do you think about this letter? Um. I, I thought the letter was beautiful. Uh, like, like I, you know, I've I've always said I thought that Cena has a great handle on Bobby, um, and the pressures of, you know, I I came out very young, so I I have a I have more like you know young Bobby's experience with this than, <laughs> than uh, older Bobby does, and I. I yeah, and I'm and I'm just, speaking as a guy who came out in my 30s with two babies, you know. <laughs> yeah. Which I mean, like, I know, you know, we're supposed to believe that Bobby is like 25 or something like that. He's gotta be 30 at this point. Um, because Hank turns 30 in like 1993. Um, so and also like weirdly, we have like the the X-Men are all supposed to be like like Scott Jean. Uh, and Bobby and Warren are all like by editorial mandate supposed to be like 25 to 27, but Hank is like 50. I don't know how this happened. 
Um, but but yeah, no, I I think uh, I I think it's it, like it's just, it's such a, a a great way of summing up like all these feelings that Bobby has had bottled up inside for so long. And, and I wish he could have said these, these words out loud. I totally understand why he couldn't, but, um, you know, having those, um, those words like sort of narrating, uh, or like being the dual track of like the, the fight with the juggernaut, which is again, like, it doesn't even matter the, the that that's not the it's, crux of this story. great storytelling. William has this like very tender conversation with Bobby after he's like, you, you really broke our hearts today. I kind of wish yeah. you hadn't told me, but Bobby gets real for a second. And again, I'm going to read this speech bubble because I think it's so beautifully written. He goes, dad, I want to tell you something. I've never told anyone, uh, but I'm not going to send you back to the hospital. Don't worry. And then he says, and here's the quote. He says, I can turn myself to vapor. It is something to do with the way ice funnels through my body. When I use my powers, I never really explored the how, because I know the why that's the thing I have the hardest time teaching students because he's he's teaching kids at the school at this time. That's the, the why of our powers. I want to disappear sometimes, leave my skin, forget my problems in a big way and just be nothing, even if for a moment. I think about being nothing. The vapor move is tricky because the why gets me there, but it's a headspace that doesn't really allow me to sort out how I come back. How do you come back from that? Anyways, it's a trick I don't want to pull out anymore. So he's, he's saying, I've been making myself disappear or want to disappear. And I don't want to want to disappear anymore, which is beautiful. This like gay pride, mutant pride, like I'm tired of not uh, existing any longer. Yeah. There's something I resonate with. When I came out, it felt like coming up for oxygen. I'm like, I'm so tired of holding my breath or the words I used over and over. Uh, I, I don't know. Any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, lo I love this scene. I love this conversation. Um, and I, I feel like this is the sort of like scope, this is the sort of scale that I kind of wanted to see William have with with Bobby earlier in the series. The This, you broke our hearts. That, that to me feels so much more, so much closer to where their relationship was than, oh my God, you're a fucking faggot. Yeah. Or, you know, like, uh, muties and queers, I'm out. Um, Maddie, Maddie goes to some really baddie places in this series, mm -hmm. uh, which, which is weird to me because she was always the, like, the peacemaker of the two of them. Uh, and I kind of... I mean, I think we could track it to, very simply put, if we're looking at a character reason, uh, Bobby came to her home and gave her husband a heart attack, and he is dying, and she is facing her mortality and blaming her child. I I, yeah. uh, I I I can see it, even if it does feel uncharacteristic. Wait, do you do you read the Marjorie Lou story as he intentionally gave him a heart attack? No, but I could see that's how Madeline views it. Gotcha. Right, like here he is again, and this time it it was deadly consequences. Like, how hard do we have to work to accept you? I would have understood if Cena Grace was done with the story here, but we get to go to a great place next. Maddie's looking on the internet and finds out that her teenage. <laughs> Her teenage son is here and she's like, oh my God, there's a chance to have a relationship with my child again. Maybe we can stop him from being mutant and gay. Maybe Bobby will win instead of the Iceman this time. Uh, tell us about the story of her inviting uh, teenage Bobby and adult Bobby over. It's, it's, it's wonderful. 
I do. So I, I love this idea in concept. I, I love William opening the door and she's got like the crazy board with like the strings and the, the photos. And she's like, <laughs> there's, there's two of them. There's two of them, William. Um, I think that, I think that's fantastic. Um, and it, and it plays with the inherent absurdity of what is going on in this, in Bobby's story right now in the main X-Men book. Um, because like the the time travel story i so i'm not a big fan of the time travel story only because like it's one of those bendis stories like i said like it starts out with this really great concept that he has no idea where he's going with it and he and he doesn't there are some fun moments but oh my god it goes on for so fucking long yeah it's 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 six years yeah like it starts in 2012 it ends in 2018 and it I don't know, like, I don't think anyone really ever had a point to it. Like, I, I feel like there's, again, there's there's fun stories, there's fun moments. Every writer who who handled them gave us some fun stories. But did they ever have anything to say? Like, the only, and, and even when they go back in time and they make a big deal, but like, you know, the adult versions will have all these memories of everything they did. The only character that impacted was Bobby and only very briefly, like no other character has ever brought up the fact that like Cyclops got to spend time with his father again as a teenager and, you know, Beast learned magic that never comes up again. Um, yeah, it, it, it's such a bizarre story. Anyways, I, I do love that this is one of the few stories that actually deals with the implications of there being these two characters around. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I love that that Maddie does kind of like does see this as this opportunity to have this this redo because I, I really think like that makes so much sense. Like I could see her being like, if we if only we hadn't sent Bobby to that school, thinking that yeah. what what this is our chance to do it over again. Yeah, yeah. What weirds me out in this story is the the her actual execution which is like, she gets Bobby and young Bobby out to a public place and then kind of shits on adult Bobby in front yeah. of young Bobby. Yeah. And, like, and young really, Bobby responds by freezing, like literally in an ice cube, yeah. like can't handle this. And Bobby has to talk him out of it. <laughs> yeah, it, it, this is the sort of thing that feels like very, just so very unsubtle to me and, and lost me quite a bit. Cause I, I think this started in a really great, great spot. Um, and and I do love the conversation that that the Bobby's that Bobby has with young Bobby. Um, I, I love that th they're really the only characters of the like the time traveling ones that really have this kind of relationship. Yeah, yeah absolutely agree. Because um, you know, like everyone kind of thinks uh, Beast is a little evil or or stupid at this point. Um, Jean's not around. Cyclops isn't around. Um, and uh angel an angel has gone to his messiah lost my memory yeah. space yeah this yeah, uh, yeah that, i was wondering what was going on with angel at this point this was, well, it was that team, team bobby during this era is overwhelmed by the idea that his grown-up self is this closeted version that never reached his potential and i'm sure he's very overwhelmed by it my parents are 15 years older and holy shit they're bigots like uh, uh, there's there's a moment, and this is where you can see queer writers taking over. There's a moment where Bobby and Teen Bobby both just walk away, and they're like, "We don't have to do this. Like, we're gonna go live our lives." Um, I got asked on a podcast recently. I was I was wearing my therapy hat, and they're like, "You know, what do you say?" 
to like Mormon parents who are struggling to accept their children and uh, or, or to gay kids who have Mormon parents. And I, I, I gave a two part answer. I said, you know, be patient. It's going to take time for them to come around. They come from a different generation, which is literally a line from this comic book. Uh, but also don't be patient. You do not have to wait for anyone to love you or accept you if they will not walk away and go live your life. And, and, I, and I, I love this moment where we finally, in a very simple way, see the middle finger given to the drinks. <laughs> like, we're going to go be happy. Like, we're done. I'm not going to do this with you anymore. Um, yeah. Uh, how do you feel about the fact that uh, Cena makes it canon in here that people are asking Bobby if he and young Bobby ever hook up with each other? Yeah, it's an uh, that's an uncomfortable place for it to go. I don't love every yeah. moment of this story by any means. Yeah, I, I mean, like, look, I'm I'm glad that he like firmly says no to this, but I also was just like, ugh, I I didn't I didn't like the implication that this is even something that they're considering. Yeah, you almost wonder if there were like fans asking those questions or making some weird assumption. It's like when people like assume that uh, Jamie Madrox like hooks up with himself. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not a teenager and an adult. <laughs> I think that that actually is continuity. Doesn't like Grant Morrison in the Grant Morrison run, Siren asks Jamie, like, do you got, do you ever just like hook up with yourself? I'm picturing like a bunch of Jamie Madroxes in an orgy, like writhing <laughs> around in sheets. And I think there's it, like, there's some kind of comment to that effect made in like Peter David's X Factor volume two. Um, I'd have to go back and reread. I, uh, yeah. I don't recall. Yeah, um, I mean, like, Bobby's response is also, like, no, because he's underage, not, like, no, because that's weird. <laughs> so, kind of the last couple Drake storylines to cover very quickly. Yep. Uh, in Iceman 11, same series, the Drakes call Bobby because they have a neighbor who's a mutant, and they want Bobby to check on him. And it's kind of a soft, cute, like, we'll call you when we need you thing, which I like to think my mom would do if she had a neighbor she knew was gay. Like, oh, my son is gay, let's, let's have him come talk, right? Uh, and then we get to see them in that weirdly titled Uncanny X-Men Winter's End. They show up at Bobby's birthday party. Uh, and and there's, a, there's a cute moment between William and Bobby. And then that's it until our, our recent uh, Luciano Vecchio wrote uh, an Infinity comic starring Iceman. And it's very abruptly revealed that William has died of a heart attack. Uh, Bobby almost comes across as just relieved. Like I can just leave this past behind me now and it's time to move forward. And I, I really enjoyed this series because it answered a lot of Iceman questions and it pushed Iceman to new levels of his, his power and his heroism. But that part was very uncomfortable. Uh, yeah. And I'm having, I'm having Luciano on the podcast in the near future. And I plan to ask him about that specifically, but uh, it was almost haphazard. Like, uh, I don't know, tell me your thoughts on, on William's death. I, I thought Luciano did him dirty. Uh, this is a character who's been around for, you know, 60 years. Uh, he deserved better than to have been like killed off panel and to have Bobby just be like, I'm better off without him. Yeah. Um, this, it, it's unfortunate. Like, I, I really do love this story, the, this uh, Luciano's uh, uh, like whole pride thing. I think the thing is, um, and I wonder if this is the case. I wonder if he pitched it as like an eight part story and then Marvel said, we'll give you four. And, you know, he didn't cut anything because it really does read like he has compressed so much story into this four part thing. Like he is yeah. zipping off doing- he took, like, he took like all the questions people have about Iceman and gave very quick answers. No, no, Iceman cannot solve global warming. Yes, this can happen. No, that cannot happen. Yes, his dad is dead and he's fine. Like it's- Yes, just, yes, he, he's going to hook up with, uh, he's going to hook up with 
Christian Frost. He's going to hook up with Romeo again. We're going to mention Judah, who I'd forgotten even existed. Um, we're going to have him, you know, having a, a gay hangout with North Star and Richter, uh, which I, I just, I, I have to say this because Richter pops up. I forgot that they went on a date in Cena Grace's yeah. story. Yeah. Um, and, and to me, that is very uncomfortable because Bobby has known Richter since he was 12 canonically. Um, <laughs> and even though like, again, we have that like sliding timescale where young people age, but then the older people stop aging at about 25. Um, so now they're about the same age, which is weird. But um, yeah, I, I feel like there should be a bit more of a distance there between those characters. Like they're, they they have a mentor-mentee relationship, they, or at least they should. As we're, um, as we're kind of concluding this conversation, Rob, I, uh, I love these conversations because it makes me look at things very differently. I do the research, but then talking about it is where things shake out. Right. I, I, you mentioned earlier, we get very few parents of the X-Men who are ever explored more. I mean, these, these two are background characters in Bobby's story over the decades. And again, they are taken by different writers over different times. But we get a surprisingly vibrant parent-child relationship and even a lot of backstory and sympathy. Uh, J.M. DeMatteis' story is very different than Scott Libdell's, which is very different than Cena uh, 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 Grace's, you know. But uh, ultimately, I, I kind of love these two and I love the complexity of this relationship and the voice it gives for a queer story at Marvel uh, that we don't often get to see portrayed. We don't get to see North Star or Richter interacting with their parents ever. Uh, they're both orphans yeah this is like yeah. most of the x-men are orphans which is it's a weird element to this th this mythology because you know you'd expect that so much of their stories would be about coming out to your parents about the difference about not being able to relate to your families and then you know going off and finding the new family um, but so few of the characters in this mythology have parents at all. Yeah, or um, if they do, the parents are never brought into the story, or very, very rarely. Yeah, um, this this is a this is an this is a resonant episode. Uh, in that, I'm just I'm thinking of the implications for again. I work as a therapist for the queer community and the trans community, and like people's journey through coming out and learning to love themselves and the struggle they had to do that. And then you reach a point where almost your relationship with your parents is in a lot of ways inconsequential. I'm still close to my parents, but I don't give much thought to how they approve or disapprove of my life. I'm just living my life. Uh, but it was a long journey to get there too. And I think Iceman's a good archetype of that. Um, uh, over Again, over decades, these characters will disappear for a decade at a time and then show up for a couple, a couple issues. Uh, any As will Iceman. Uh, absolutely. Iceman disappears for a while sometimes too. Uh, any, uh, I don't know, concluding uh, thoughts or realizations uh, on the Drakes as we, as we kind of summarize them all in one hour plus? Well, you know, honestly, um, I, I would like to see Maddie make another appearance and, and have uh, something done about, you know, her relationship with Bobby now that she's a widow. Um, and, and what that means uh, to them. And, and like, because even at the end of Cena Grace's story, she doesn't make peace with Bobby, William does. Uh, in fact, she, she literally gets up from the table and said, enough of this time travel shit, I'm leaving. And, and it, it like, it's such a weird beat to end her story on, I think. Yeah, yeah. 
we we deserve that and and Iceman just joined the new X-Men team so maybe we'll get that maybe we'll get that moment between Bobby and his mom now that his dad has died and Jerry Duggan's picking him up from where he left off and I was very surprised actually that Iceman got the new team that that was a, a shock to me yeah yeah um I how have you been enjoying the the X-Men book uh, I like how we have a, a, a series, let me say that differently, we have different series that have different tones. Uh, whatever book I'm reading, I love going back when it's done and reading it all in one sitting, uh, because you capture a different energy. Immortal X-Men is very different than, than Knights of X, which is very different than X-Men. I like what Jerry Duggan's doing, but I don't like how certain characters get a lot more airtime than the others. Rogue was not even necessary in this previous volume. No. Uh, the, the whole public vote thing and the public hero thing, uh, I think there's a lot that he's doing very well with this. I think it's, it, it think it's beautiful, but it's not flawless in its execution. Uh, I don't know, what do you think? Um, I, I'd agree with a lot of that. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, holding out hope that this is gonna be, that this new volume is gonna be uh, good. I like a lot of the characters that he's- uh, You got Havoc this. back. I got Havoc back, yeah. Um, and, and you know, I, I feel like as much as I loved Hellions, um, I, I feel like Hellions kind of did him dirty a little bit, uh, which was great. Like I'm not faulting Zeb Wells at all. But oh yeah, was, Havoc was, was the story. comic relief in that series. Exactly. Uh, so I, I want to see like, you know, it's it's interesting to me, uh, speaking of families, like Cyclops and Havoc have almost never been in a book together in like the 60 year, the 50 years that they've been characters. Um, it'd be great to see like that kind of relationship uh, develop. Um, and and yeah, I, I, I want to see Iceman, you know, playing around with with these characters in this book. I think they'll all be very interesting. Um, I'm curious why Forge pressed for Havoc to be in the book. Uh, I, I, I think there's gotta be a story there. Um, I really loved uh, Duggan's Deadpool. Mm -hmm. um, I think, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I was so surprised because I thought I thought that character had kind of been exhausted. And when he and uh, Brian Posehn took over Deadpool, I, I think he really breathed life into that character again. And I think- Wonderful, yeah. Yeah, um, I, think, I think Duggan's doing some really great work at Marvel. And um, I don't know, I feel like the first volume of X-Men uh, felt a little, it, it felt a little done dirty by the office as well, because I felt like it was undermined by the fact that like, it was clearly not the X-Men. It was clearly like the main book was whatever Hickman was writing. Sure. And it was undermined by the fact that it was launched and there were other things happening at the same time, like, you know, that, that were more important clearly. And I, I'm wondering what this is going to be like going forward. So I, I feel I mean, like this, 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 this book's inception was we are breaking away from Krakoa and working to build relations with the, the modern world again. So the launching of the Treehouse. I love the use of characters from outside the main X books. I love that we got Modoc and Cordyceps Jones or whatever that guy's name is and, uh, and Nightmare as the villains, which, which was really fun. And I think we're building into some really fun spaces. Ben Urich's yes. use was great. Uh, yeah. I love I loved Sink getting the spotlight. Uh, he's not yeah. a favorite, but he's becoming a favorite because they're finally doing something with him. Yeah, I felt like, um, I felt like, like Duggan's book kind of had to do that by necessity because the whole core concept of Krakoa eliminated all of the X-Men's villains. Yeah, yeah. Like there's really, there's only so many stories you can do with Orcus and the, the purifiers. Um, and if every other book is doing that, you've got to do something different. 
Um, ooh, ooh, Maddie, Maddie Drake joining Orcus. Oh, no. I'm just kidding. No, no, no. Don't conjure that. Don't conjure that. Um, yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> Fuck you. You killed your father, Iceman. I'm joining up with the enemy. No, no I, I'm just kidding. Uh, Rob, as we're wrapping up, let me just say thank you for the gift of your time and talents. I think you are smart. I think you are fun. Uh, I love your writing. I've got your book of plays and I've read uh, read the first one now. It's taken me a while because I do so much research for this podcast. Uh, but uh, and, and I love the thirsty content that you post all over the internet as well. Uh, uh, I think you're a true talent, and I'm uh, I'm pleased to to associate and call you a friend. Um, where can people where can people find you online, and what do we have to look forward to? Like anything you want to plug here? Sure. Yeah, uh, you can find me online uh, on uh, Twitter or Instagram at Rob Salerno. Um, I uh, I also have my the the Iceman is a homosexual blog is uh, at my website, which is therobsalerno.com. And um, there's also I've got uh, the book of plays that you just mentioned uh, is out now. You can buy it on Amazon. It's called Smashing Young Man. It's a collection of uh, four plays that uh, I have uh, written and produced and uh, toured across Canada and the United States and out to Europe. Um, all through uh, my twenties, and it was uh, it was just such a joy putting that book together, and I'm I'm glad that it's out now. And uh, yeah, those are that's basically me. I'm living in an age as well where a lot of stuff that I put together in the past has gotten a little bit of modern notice. I uh, I, I wrote a graphic novel years ago that just got produced locally as an opera, which was weird and wow. wonderful. Uh, uh, and I wrote a memoir and like some other thing. It's it's fun to see. It's fun to have enough longevity in my career now that like people are starting to notice stuff that I did a long time ago that I remain proud of. Uh, so I, I I see you in that same space. Uh, and I know you're doing a lot of active writing uh, work. I love your blog. Uh, it's it's fun to see what's coming up. Uh, on Gray Malkin Lane, uh, we have uh, right the day before we release or the week excuse me the week we released this episode we have our our episodes featuring a steve rude and dan jurgens coming out uh and then august begins with the trial of namor which is going to be really fun uh we had a great time on it so uh thanks for tuning in for all our all our patreon listeners this was a lot of fun i'm going to be sitting and chewing on this conversation uh for the rest of the day uh rob any final thoughts before we wrap up uh, no, thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. It's always a joy to be on this podcast, uh, have someone to uh, talk about my my obsessively nerdy observations about the X-Men with. Thank you <laughs> again is, so much. This is a blast for me too. You were the resident Iceman guy, so this had to happen uh, at some point. But yeah, thank you for the gift of your time and talents today, man. All right, everybody, we'll see you back here uh, next time uh, for our next Patreon episode. I'm going to be digging in with Sarah Century into my favorite uh, 60s character, uh, Vera Cantor, who I love, love, love. We're, uh, we're going to have a blast. So uh, we'll see you guys back here next time.